Welcome to episode three of For the Love of the Game, presented by Horsebills.com, our podcast that we put out every couple of weeks. I'm joined by my partner, Mark Dosh. And Mark, uh, we've had the opportunity to speak with Brian Trump. He's the operations manager for Rockingham Ranch and their trainer, Peter Miller, who I spoke to on Friday. He went out and won four races on Saturday and he continues to have another huge Del Mar meet. Yeah, we can't pat ourselves too much on the back for his success after the interview because he's been winning races in bunches, especially at Del Mar, always on top of the trainer standings at Santa Anita as well. He's just been on a remar- remarkable run the last few years, and it culminated with a couple of very impressive performances at the Breeders' Cup. Right, and then uh, after the interview, we'll close out with a talk a little bit about uh, the great week of racing we saw Thanksgiving week, and then next week at Del Mar, closing weekend, We've got the Hollywood Park Derby on Saturday, the Matriarch on Sunday, and then stay tuned for just a little more information on horse bills. It's an opportunity to uh, do some year-end thinking about uh, changing maybe your invoicing and accounting platform. That'll come at the close, but first, let's hear from Brian Trump and Peter Miller on For the Love of the Game, presented by Horsebills.com. Welcome to the For Love of the Game podcast presented by Horse Bills. My name is Mark Dosh, and our special guest today is Brian Trump, Director of Operations for Rockingham Ranch Racing Stable. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? We're doing good. We're doing good. You guys have been on an amazing run the last few years, culminated with a couple of amazing days at the Breeders' Cup. Um, on a day-to-day basis, day in and day out, what does what your job duties entail being the Director of Operations for Rockingham Ranch? Well, we, uh, we're up to about 85 horses now, so there's a lot of uh, moving parts, and uh, my job is to uh, make sure that everyone's in place where they need to be and um, follow up on, uh, you know, whether the horses are uh, in training or whether they're on layup or uh, our breeding operation. Um, it's just, you know, keeping everything together and then reporting back to uh, Gary as well as Pete as far as if they need information and our other trainers, uh, George Navarro and uh, Jeff Runco. So five years ago, both yourself and Gary, your, your father-in-law now, ventured out to the track for the first time. It was your first day at the track and it was the first horse that he's owned. So in those five years, you guys have amassed a lot of success and now obviously up to 85 horse operation is, is pretty impressive. Um, when you went to the track five years ago, that, that first day, what was your impression, and um, what did you know about horse racing before that day? Uh, my previous experience with horse racing before that was um, uh, basically walking through the uh, the, the room at the in, at Vegas, the uh, the sports book, and seeing it up on the screen and having no clue how anyone could possibly uh, pick a horse to win. Uh, just ah. just knew absolutely nothing, and uh, when I got down there with Gary and, and, and Pete and got the experience of uh, seeing what it's like from an owner standpoint to uh, be able to go back to the stable and be in the, the paddock, it was just uh, amazing. And uh, for me personally, you know, uh, at that point, my baseball career had come to an end and uh, there was a void of competition in my life. And uh, this seemed uh, like the perfect fit to fill that void. How far along did you get in your baseball career? I played up into uh, to college. I played uh, for UC San Diego. So you were down in San Diego. Uh, obviously, Delmar is down there, and um, I'm sure you'd probably heard about Delmar. You know, kind of the scene that of all the of all the tracks, it's probably the one track where you might have not so many as much mainstream uh, or more mainstream fans going to the track just to check it out. But 
uh, you never you never went to the track when you were when you went to, when you were in college. Well, it's funny actually. In college, uh, as a summer gig, uh, I I did valet. I worked valet at the track. So okay, um, but I never never actually made it inside. Just stayed out sat, stayed out at the valet for some some money and um, uh, while I was playing in between baseball games and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it was it's it's totally different experience now. That's for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, people in our generation that love sports, that love competition. Um, you would you would think that horse racing is the perfect sport for them because it kind it 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 appeals to that same demographic of people that are into sports and gambling and drinking and just the whole vibe. So, why do you think that it hasn't really caught on with our 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 demographic? Because guys like you and I, we love all those other things, but we love horse racing even more, and we know that if people give it a chance they're going to love it but even for someone like yourself who was at the track working valet going through the sports book just seeing it on on the screen and have no have having no idea about it what is it about it that that is kind of a stigma that people don't get attracted to it the same way um that that you and i have um for people at any younger generation you know i think as a as a as a community we need to do a better job of of uh, representing the sport uh, publicly, I think we need to figure out more ways to get the media involved, um, continue to improve. I mean, you, you already see growth with NBC Sports um, as they seem to pick up more coverage and TVG does an excellent job um, with their coverage. Uh, but but we need to find other ways, uh, social media, getting involved. Um, uh, you know, I, I would love to see reality shows where, where they, they, they track uh, trainers or, or, or horses as they come up to up to big races I, I just i think if we get it out there people will, will will fall in love with the sport as much as as much as we have um it's just not getting that exposure yet so going back to that first day what what was it that got gary interested in getting on board with owning horses uh five years ago yeah gary's gary's always been into horses growing up his father owned horses uh he would go to the track um in the past he he had owned a few horses here and there i think one or two um and always had a love for the sport in fact gary's told me it many times over over thanksgiving dinners uh you know going to the track he would he would uh uh skip out of school at, in high school and go to the track with his buddies so the the love for him has always been there um but to to really dive into it uh it really came down to yeah, just the action. Gary's a total action guy. He likes to take risks. And uh, once he started getting a few horses and he realized he had to wait a couple months for, for each of them to run, he needed more yeah. action. So he just dove right in and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything um, subpar. It, it's all in. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I was the kid in high school that was having had the daily racing form in my backpack and senior year i was skipping out to san anita with one of my teachers to to go get uh, catch the races on the weekday so i totally understand when you have it in you um it's a passion that 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 is acquired and it's hard or hard to lose um what what about the learning curve because obviously there's it's, it's almost you know like we talk about the racing form and it's almost a, a different it's a foreign language when when other people look at it um so that first day you know you, you knew nothing about the sport Talk about the learning curve of learning all the different in and outs and uh, how you adapted and then maybe how that's an obstacle also for getting new new blood into the game. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I, I'm still learning, you know, as, as I said, uh, this is new to me, but I, I learn every day something new. Um, but when we first got into it and really it jumped into it, 
um, it really comes down to surrounding yourself with a, a small group of people that you can really trust. Uh, I feel very blessed that, that Peter uh, was able to um, guide us. Uh, he, he also, with, with open arms, allowed me to come down and, and see the check on our horses uh, weekly so uh, I could learn as much as possible. And uh, I am you know, forever grateful to him for that. Um, I also, we, we had a, 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 a consultant early on named David Landsman who uh, uh, used to own I Want Revenge and Squirtle Squirt and had much success in the past and was also uh, instrumental in, in helping guide us and give us direction and, and introducing us to people. Um, so the, the, the two of those, those guys right there really helped us at an early, uh, uh, early on to, uh, to put us in the right direction. How did Gary decide to choose Peter to be his trainer? You know, I think uh, he at first, I believe he had a few few different trainers. Um, uh, to be honest, I don't I don't remember all of them at that, that point because at that point I really wasn't involved. But um, uh, he, he, I believe he had a few different trainers uh, training different horses, and he was feeling it out. And uh, I just I think one of the, the the great things about Pete is he's such a good communicator, and, and Gary. Uh, like I said, when he does something and he goes all in, he wants to be able to to touch base and and see what everything's going on and be informed. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to just show up and and find out things. So uh, that's one of the 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 things that we we love about Pete is he's extremely communicative, and uh, we are informed uh, daily as far as what's going on with our horses. Right. So uh, we talked about it's only been about five years, and the success you guys have had has been pretty remarkable. There's others that have been involved in the game for decades and have not come anywhere near the same success. What, what do you attribute that success to? And uh, what's kind of the, the plan that you guys lay out maybe at the, at the end of this year or the start of the new year's to see what's going to come up for the next, the next year? Well, I, I would say, uh, I, I would love to tell you that, that uh, it was, it was all planned this way, but uh, you know, a lot of it's luck. I mean, with any sport um, there's, there's the hard work. And, and, and I can tell you that, that, you know, my experience is down with Pete. He is one of the hardest working guys I've ever seen. I mean, he literally is touching every single horse every day uh, to make sure uh, that they're at the top of their performance. And if they're not, he's, he's addressing it immediately. Um, and it's not just somebody that's, that's works for him. Uh, he does have a great team and uh, a very honest team. And uh, we're forever uh, thankful to them for, for all the hard work that they do. Um, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, Gary, Gary really is passionate about this sport. And, uh, you know, I've, I've learned to, to love this sport as much as he has. And together, we just, we're just trying to, to, to be at the top of our game. And in a, in a sport where you've got these major, major um, farms and operations, um, we're just, we feel like a small, a small entity, even though we've had uh, so much success, we feel like a, like a, almost like a David going up against these Goliath farms and to have that success, we feel very blessed. So is it focused more of, of a racing operation as it has been, or are you guys also going to focus on breeding and sales and, and that dynamic? As well, far as, also, when you go to a sale, are you looking more to buy, to buy Colts and, and kind of gearing for the Derby or, or Phillies with the residual value, or is it kind of just all encompassing? You know, that's, that's a good point. Uh, our, our operation started as, as really just um, some private purchases and, and uh, we then expanded into claims and we don't, we don't limit ourselves to, you know, only private purchases or only um, sales purchases at sales or, or, or claims. We, we try to, to um, be, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, 
uh, we, we try to have not put all our eggs in one basket. Right. So um, uh, then we we started getting into uh, the breeding business. You know, we had a we had some luck privately purchasing a a, a majority stake in um, Finnegan's Wake, and with his success, uh, turned him into a stallion out here in California. Um, and then we had our, our, our brood mares that we've retired that we've we've sent to him, and now we are excited to uh, have Conquest Fahrenheit, another former horse of ours by Scat Daddy, that will be standing here in California uh, at Belena Vista. So I, I think a lot of our success um, is because we haven't stuck to pigeonhole ourselves into to one certain um, aspect of the sport, um, whether it was a forty thousand dollar claim that ended up you know making two million dollars or a $335,000 private purchase uh, or a purchase at an auction that has made us, you know, a few million dollars. It, it, it's really across the board. As far as at the sales, I think um, we're, we're open to anything. We, 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 we private, we purchase one-year-olds, we purchase two-year-olds in training. Um, we look at fillies, mare, uh, we look at uh, colts. It doesn't matter. Um, we're, we're really looking at the horse itself. And again, we rely on, on, on a small group of people that we trust to uh, really give us that, that guidance and, and help us pick these horses. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so that diversity has been, has been key on the success. And uh, we obviously talked about the two breeders cup wins two years in a row, back to back in the turf sprint and the sprint with the same horses, stormy liberal and Roy H and both of them kind of come from modest backgrounds as well. And so uh, have you, it's been, you know, a few weeks now, obviously there, there was a huge rush. Has, has it, has that success sunk in yet? And, kind of looking back at, at what you guys have accomplished, what does that mean to you? It's, it's extremely special. I mean, um, you know, you go in last year and, and, and that day, uh, Gary and I, we just, we were on such a high um, of, of emotion and just could not believe that what, what had happened just had happened. And uh, quite frankly, thought we, that was the, the peak of our, our, our stable. We thought we would never be able to, uh, to top that. And to even and, and and what's really funny is leading up to this race, there was a lot of of tout of some of these East Coast horses, um, and neither of our horses went in as a favorite, which kind of shocked us because we had seen them training so well leading up to the to the race. But at the same time, to think that we could possibly go do it again back to back was was really unthinkable. And for that, I mean, that just speaks volumes to to the job that Pete's done with these horses and and his team. I mean, we can't. It, it's, it's unbelievable. One of the most amazing notes for me personally on Roy H is that, you know, he was kind of an underperformer throughout most of his early career and definitely not on, on, on the map as far as a prominent horse nationally. And then when you guys yelled at him, he became a completely different animal and has become one of the best printers of all time. What went into that thought to geld him and kind of what did you guys see from him after that happened? Uh, the gelding took place. Uh, he was actually laid up. Uh, I think he had some sore feet at the time. And uh, he needed a, a break in the winter and we, we brought him back and, and, and Pete called and, and I believe the, the conversation was really, you know, he, he's already having the time off for his feet. Uh, why don't we why don't we geld him at that point as well? Um, like you said, his success. I mean, he had showed signs of, of, of excellence, but really hadn't put it together. And then again, uh, I think one day the 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 the, uh, the turf that there was a little bit of a the track, you know, little wetness on the track and they took the the race off the turf and he was on the dirt and all of that combination together just clicked for him and uh he, he really was a different horse and if you see him now if you if you see him in the in the stable he's he's like a gentle giant i mean he's one of the most loving horses to be around 
uh, it's pretty funny when you see him out there and he he prances and he looks like this absolute beast. But but really behind the scenes, he's just a, a big love bug. Yeah, it's amazing how a lot of those great horses, they know when to turn it off and turn it on. And half the battle is mentally yeah. um, for them to keep it together mentally and, and not lose lose their head and be able to go out there and show what they can do. Exactly. Exactly. So the success you guys have had in a short period of time, you, you came from a, a non-racing background. Uh, is it in your mind now that you guys are in this for the long haul and this is going to be, uh, you know, your life's work moving forward? I think so. I mean, I mean we had this conversation the other day, Gary and I we're, we're talking, look, we are we're, we're heavily invested in this sport and uh, we love it and we love the people involved and, and we feel very blessed. And I, I want to carry this tradition on uh, uh, for many years myself. And I, I continue to learn and, and want to, to get involved more. So uh, I, I would love to, I, you know, I, I think our next goal is, is to continue moving forward with, with what we've got going on, but we would love to be on that Derby trail. We, we have not had that, um, uh, experience yet and and it's not an easy one so we're 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 working on it but uh it, at least it gives us something to shoot for absolutely absolutely the elusive derby trail a lot of people have spent a lot of money chasing that dream but you guys have done an excellent job so far with what you guys have accomplished uh want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and wish you continued success moving forward thank you so much i appreciate it I'm at the barn of trainer Peter Miller. We're down here at Del Mar. Peter, good morning. Thanks for joining us today after Thanksgiving. Good morning. Uh, good to be here. Well, I'd do a quick interview with you. Uh, our podcast is called For the Love of the Game. This is our third episode, and uh, let's just kind of start off with the obvious. I mean, you winning two Breeders' Cup races back-to-back years with consecutive horse, same horse consecutive years. It's never going to happen again. Has that sunk in? with what you accomplished um well you never, unless you never can say do it never. with three three yeah, in a row, you, know, you never say never in this business because you know uh uh they say a lot of things will never get done and some and they do but uh uh yeah it'll be a hard uh, it'll be a hard feat to match but uh we're gonna try hopefully uh, we'll get another shot at it next year with both of them at santa anita Let's just go back and talk about your background a little bit. Um, I know your stepfather owned horses, Gary Hallman. Uh, he was a gambler as well. How much influence did he have on, on getting you started in horse racing? Pretty much all of it. I, I, uh, I was introduced to it uh, from my stepfather uh, when, uh, when he married my mother. Um, he was the first person to ever take me to the track at uh, eight years old and um, yeah without him uh, I'd have probably never found uh, found the racetrack so um, yeah I was very lucky that uh, that he he would love the races and uh, instilled that uh, love uh, uh, into me what was your first job at the racetrack um, hot walker I walked hots uh, as a teenager in the summertime here at Del Mar I uh, worked for uh, uh, guys that have long passed, uh, Joe Manzi, uh, Hal King, uh, Mike Mitchell. Um, I, I did that when I was so 12, 13, 14. And then, uh, um, then started grooming horses maybe about 15. Started grooming horses in the summer for Mike Mitchell. And uh, that was kind of the, my first jobs. And then uh, uh, when I graduated high school, I went to work uh, 
the next day for Charlie Whittingham uh, at Hollywood Park as a groom at 17. So, so I've been doing this a long time. That must have been a little bit awe-inspiring to go to work for maybe one of the top five greatest trainers in the, in the history of the game. Definitely. It was just uh, kind of random luck. I just walked into the gates at Hollywood Park. It was the day after I graduated high school and uh, um, was uh, the first barn uh, that I stopped in. It, he, he had the first barn to the right as you walked in the gates at Hollywood. And uh, it was about 5 a.m. and <clears throat> I, I, uh, I saw... Uh, his assistant asked if they needed help and he said uh getting those four stalls there guy didn't show up it's your lucky day so <laughs> so uh uh it was my lucky day and i i worked there uh about three years now looking back at your stats uh you started your first horse as, a, as an official trainer in 1987 there were some lean years um really and and you were even out of the game as far as training horses between 1998 and, and 2004. What were you doing during that time? You know, I never got completely out of the game. I always galloped horses. Uh, that's After I rubbed horses, I, I, I learned to gallop horses. And so I galloped horses. I uh, uh, got into the jewelry business for a few years. I owned a jewelry shop uh, here in Oceanside and owned that for about 10 years. But I always stayed always either galloped horses in the morning or I had uh, um, second strings for a bunch of guys. I, at one point I had, oh geez, almost a hundred horses uh, for uh, Mike Mikowski, Mike Mitchell, um, Golden Eagle Farms, uh, Vladimir Sarin, Dave Hoffman's, uh, I, I could keep going. I had, I had a lot of horses prepping for these guys that had known me for years and, and um, so I, I, even though I wasn't running horses, I was still uh, still involved in the game. You came back into the game officially as a trainer, uh, had a pretty good 05, but everything seemed to really take off for you in 06. I mean, your earnings went from 190000 to $1.2 million. What happened in 06 that has launched you on this trajectory to, to where you are now? Well, um, I think... I think it was uh, there. There were kind of two guys that gave me a big, big boost early on. Uh, one was uh, uh, Gerson Racing, Sean Gerson. Um, I had met him through Mike Mitchell. Mike was his main trainer, and and uh, and I trained Mike's second string, and uh, uh, they had a falling out. And uh, Sean asked me if I wanted to train his horses, and I said, well, I'd have to check with Mike. And I asked Mike, and he said, yes have at it go on with it and so uh, Sean gave me a big break and then um, uh, I met uh, Gary Barber that year through my brother and we bought a horse named Fast Parade and he was uh, um, a very good horse I had trained for uh, Mattress Mac the Mackinvales mm -hmm. I had worked for them for a little while and uh, so those uh, you know, I'd say Sean Gerson and Gary Barber were uh, really the two guys that uh, really gave me my uh, real start back in the in the game. And at this point in your career, you just went over a thousand wins, forty-seven million in earnings. I mean, it's seen those numbers are are mind-boggling, especially when you look back on the lean years. Um, how important is it 
to have those kind of owners. I mean, currently you have Gary Hartooni and Rockingham Ranch, uh, you know, Brian Trump, who we've interviewed on for this podcast, uh, guys like Dave Burns and the Barbers. I mean, how important are the, the owners to your success? Oh, you know, without Gary Hartooni and, and Gary Barber, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have about 20 horses. So, um, you know, they're my main, main clients and uh, they're, absolutely integral without them uh you know without the horses to train uh, it doesn't matter how good a trainer you are if you don't have uh the uh, stock to work with uh you'll you'll never be able to show what you can do so i'm just very thankful uh that gary barber's uh, you know stuck with me for looks like about 12 years and uh, still going strong a very loyal guy and just a great guy and a great owner. And Gary Hartunian and I have been together now, I want to say about uh, six, seven years. Uh, uh, Dave Landsman uh, introduced me. Uh, they were friends. And, and so all of my business, you know, Gary Barber and Gary Hartunian and most all of my business has all been um, uh, word of mouth and referral. So... Um, you know, I don't hustle much. I don't cold call, and I don't, you know, uh, do what most of the guys do to get business. And I've been fortunate to have uh, met some guys and to have done well for them. And uh, you know, that's that's really been my uh, my basis in my business. Four Breeders Cup wins helps keep everybody happy. It it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. But at the same time, you know, people think, oh, you know, you win four Breeders' Cup races, the phone rings off the hook. It's it's not the way this business works. You know, the, uh, you know, the bullshitters shall inherit the earth, and uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not one of them. But uh, but I'm not complaining either. You know, I'm not complaining. I think people have taken notice, and and um, you know, uh, I don't want. Uh, I don't want business for business sakes. I, I like uh, good business, people that I like and people that allow me uh, to do my job. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have uh, uh, people like that. I've observed you a little bit around the barn. You're very hands-on. You scope every horse of yours that comes off the track after a workout. Do you think that your horsemanship is a little bit underrated by some people? I think so. Um, you know, I think so. People don't know. They don't know the guys that work and the guys that don't. And, and uh, you know, some guys that don't win races, too. They have good assistance or they uh, spot horses well or they have, you know, very good veterinarians. But I, I prefer to kind of uh, do things myself. You know, we, we scope every horse ourselves. Uh, I check every leg every day. Uh, if they work, you know, on Saturday, I check them on Sunday. We, we trot them up and down. And... Um, you know, I watch every set go, and and you know, I, I just think uh, for me, that's 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 the way I like to do it. It's it's very labor intensive, but um, but uh, that's the only way I know how to do it, and, and it's you know it's worked so far. Would you say that's your biggest ass as as a trainer, being that hands on? I would think so. I would say so. I think yeah, being. Uh, being uh, more hands-on than most uh, is definitely um, um, 
have been a big attribute and 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 then also i think um you know uh, spotting my horses uh, correctly is also uh, another uh, attribute of ours if you said if you were asked what could you improve on as a trainer what what you, do you have anything that you think you can be better at sure absolutely uh, you know uh, you know if, you, if you're not uh, improving every day and uh, learning something new you're not paying attention so um, yeah there are a lot of things um, certainly be better at my public relations <laughs> uh you know i'd probably have a lot more horses if your, I was your reputation's pretty fiery guy yeah i'm a fiery guy i'm an intense competitor but uh you know uh off the racetrack i'm a different kind of person but i get uh, i get behind these gates and uh you know they like the old saying i don't know if the gates are to lock us in or lock us <laughs> out but uh but um, no, that that would be one thing. But as far as the actual in and outs of training, you know, I think I'd like to be, uh, I'd like to improve on my uh, uh, two turn statistics. My route statistics, I think, could be a little bit better. Um, and um, th those would be the two things. Uh, you know, the PR and the hustle aspect of it. You know, I don't, I don't get the business. Uh, because I don't ask for the business, and and uh, and, and then also the, uh, like I say, I think uh, uh, I'd like to improve uh, my stats, uh, uh, two turn races. We had talked to Brian as I mentioned in this podcast, and he said, you know, the the Breeders Cups are, are phenomenal. Uh, he he would like to see their group get on the Triple Crown Trail. Um, and I assume that's a goal of yours as well. Sure, you know, everyone, it's a goal of everybody's, and uh, I'm not obsessed with it like a lot of trainers are. It just was never, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a California boy, I'm not a Kentucky boy, so uh, to me, the Derby's kind of overrated and overhyped, and, um, but, uh, you know, of course, if I had uh, a horse that uh, belonged I'd certainly uh, like to take a take another run at it as an example of that I remember uh, Ed Zorowski interviewed you a number of years ago I think you might have been going for your first Del Mar title and have since won a, a number of training titles but you said at that time winning the Del Mar title would have been more important to you than winning the Kentucky Derby because and I like this quote you're outspoken and I like it you said a lot of bad trainers have won the Kentucky Derby no bad trainers have won the title at Del Mar that's true and I stand by it you know uh, you know I think uh, you know uh, the Kentucky Derby anyone can win one race um, but to be uh, good over a two-month period of time in Del Mar arguably the toughest meet in the country if not the world um, really I think uh, speaks volumes to horsemanship more than uh, one particular race so um, you know, I, I, I stand by it, you know, like I said, the derbies would be great if it happens, but I don't, uh, it's not something that I, uh, I, I'll, I'll judge my career based upon. Talk about balance in your, your life. You, you have a, a beautiful family, Lonnie, two boys. How do you balance time with them as opposed to the demands of horse racing? It's, uh, it's, it's difficult. It's definitely difficult, but, um, you know, the hours are long and demanding, uh, being a horse trainer. Um, but 
our schedule isn't as bad as it used to be. You know, it used to I used to work seven days a week. We used to race five and six days a week. You know, now we're four and five days a week, and uh, I try and take Sunday mornings off. The track's closed at San Luis Rey, so I try and uh, take Sundays, uh, at least the mornings off. And and uh, I spend a lot of time with them, um, and uh, they also enjoy the races. So uh, they came to the Breeders' Cup this year, and that was great. And uh, uh, they come to the races all the time. So uh, I'm fortunate I get to spend a lot of time uh, you know, with my family. Would you like your boys to follow in your footsteps or you want to steer them away from the racetrack? You know, all things being equal, I'd probably steer them away. Um, but, uh, you know, that being said, uh, you know, I, I say, you know, uh, I, I don't want them to be trainers. I want them to be owners. <laughs> but uh, but uh, all kidding aside, uh, you know, whatever they want to do in life, you know, uh, no one could have talked me out of... Uh, working at the track so I would never try and talk them out of it but uh, uh, whatever they want to do but there are certainly uh, easier and better ways to make a living than uh, training horses. Last thing uh, Peter it's been talked about a lot obviously we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the, of the fire out at San Luis Rey uh, you know horrific devastation for everybody um, just maybe reflect on that for a minute and, and the kind of perspective maybe it gave you going forward. Yeah, that was uh, you know definitely a life-changing uh, experience. Um, uh, it, it definitely gave perspective into uh, things that are important, uh, you know, health and family, and um, but at the same time also the um, uh, fragility of of uh, my profession, you know, training horses is a, a very uh, fragile, up and down job, and uh, that showed uh, just a portion of it. You know, we we uh, were fortunate, and I say that you know, fortunate. We lost five horses, but uh, it could have been a lot worse uh, without uh, my help that uh, was at the barn and stayed uh, in spite of. Uh, you know, orders from the fire department to uh, evacuate. So, uh, you know, very thankful and um, uh, feel very lucky. But uh, at the same time, that was a uh, uh, very traumatic uh, experience for us all. Well, keep up the good work, Peter. Uh, keep up the passion for the game, uh, for the love of the game, with Peter Miller. And uh, you know, just just keep the keep it rolling. Uh, enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Thanks right. a lot, Bob. Likewise. That was Peter Miller on for the love of the game. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Brian Trump and Peter Miller and Mark. As you said, they've been on a remarkable roll, and uh, it's just been uh, really good to get to know those guys a little more. And we just closed out Thanksgiving week. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We saw some great racing down at Del Mar, but Mark, uh, closing weekend at Del Mar coming up and some really big races starting Saturday with the Hollywood Park Derby. Yeah, it's going to be uh, another full field of horses, no doubt. Three-year-olds on the turf uh, year in, year out. It's turning to be a great race. And now with barns shipping in from all over the country as it did this past weekend and they have been doing at Del Mar and at Hollywood Park back in the day, it makes these for very interesting turf heats 
Um, one of our big, biggest clients and most loyal supporters, Jeff Mullins, is going to have one of the top choices in the race, River Boyne. He bounced back with an impressive win in his last start after disappointing in the Del Mar Derby. So he'll be looking to turn things around uh, down at Del Mar this weekend. And then Sunday, the matriarch, one of my favorites, Vasilica Run. She's rattled off eight straight, proven to be an outstanding claim by Jerry Hollendorfer. And uh, we've got another big client with a horse in there on Sunday. Happen Danza Racing, a uh, prominent syndicate across the country. They've done really well with fillies and mares over the past couple of years. Uh, very smart acquisitions, getting residual value with them, getting them stakes place, and then selling them at auction. They have, they have excellent sunset in the matriarch. Uh, she finished, she crossed the wire first earlier in the meet in the Catherine Crosby, but was DQ'd to second. She ran a huge race that day. Uh, she broke slow, was wide throughout, but she was loaded through the lane. And she, she, like I said, she got to the wire first, but uh, it was kind of a bittersweet day for the connections and for Anna Mia. Uh, she's a new trainer who also uses horsebills.com. And she was looking for, she's still looking for her first win. Uh, it looked like it was in a communist stakes race that day, but it wasn't to be. So they'll take a shot in, in the grade one matriarch and she probably will be a little bit of a price, but uh, she's got a lot of upside. So if she can improve, she might, she might have a chance. Mark, you just mentioned a few of our clients as we uh, get ready to close out the year and the calendar turns into December. It's really a good time for people that are, are thinking about making a move, uh, simplifying their invoicing and accounting platform. We know we can save them time and money with horse bills. So let's give a little pitch here as we get ready to close out the year. Right. Whether you're a trainer, a syndicate, um, any kind of other vendor that services the horse, a farrier, a vet, uh, there's a long list of different you know, shipping companies. Um, the, the site is going to do wonders for your business as far as saving you time on doing your invoicing and making your clients happy. Our biggest supporters and the people that are pushing our product the most for us are owners that are receiving bills from the vendors that use horsebills.com because it makes the process a lot more efficient for the owners having their bills all in one place, nice organized fashion online, able to pay their bills online via credit card or e-check ACH. And so it's, it's an interesting dynamic when you think about it, when you have owners that are telling their vendors, to use horsebills.com, you know, wh where else do you find your clients telling you what billing system to use? So um, it must be good if, if owners are going out of their way to tell their vendors to use it. If it's good for the owners, just imagine the functionality that we provide that makes it great for the vendors. And like you said, the turn of the year is a great time to get started. Fresh set of books. We're here to help you get started and, and get you set up and make it the transition as smooth as possible. The sooner you get on board, the sooner you're going to take, take advantage of what we can offer. And we're confident once you're on board, you're going to stay on board. Sounds good, Mark. Thank you. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. For the love of the game presented by horsebills.com. For Mark Dosh, I'm Bob Ike, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with our next episode. Thanks for listening. 